This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Wiser Books. Wiser Books is celebrating 60 years of publishing the very best in occult and esoterica. You can check out their extensive and inspiring range of reading material by going to wiserbooks.com. That's W-E-I-S-E-R books.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. I hope you had a happy Halloween and a blessed Samhain. That is the preferred pronunciation for the holiday that you might sometimes hear as Samhain. Samhain. Unlike the giddy, frenetic, costume and candy-fueled energy of Halloween, which I also love, by the way, Samhain is traditionally a time for contemplation for contacting your ancestors. Lots of people in all different traditions celebrate uh, similar holidays, whether it's Samhain or Day of the Dead. And many believe that this early autumn season overall that we're still in is the time when the veil between worlds is thinnest. You'll hear that phrase a lot. (laughs) And what that means is it's an excellent time for us to honor our dearly departed our loved ones who have gone on into the other realm of whatever name you choose to call it, and that it's a time for giving thanks and also asking for guidance. So some folks do more divination around this time, like tarot card readings or casting runes, but you can also just try talking to your spirits, telling them you miss them, requesting support and assistance from them. So do give that a try if you're called to. Of course, Halloween is also a great time to dress up as other beings. And this year I chose to transform myself into Medusa, the magical creature from Greek mythology who had snakes for hair and whose gaze turns people into stone. She represents a certain kind of female power, and like some aspects of the witch, Medusa taps into a vein of anger and monstrousness that so often gets suppressed and dishonored, especially in women. And this past year has filled me with plenty of anger, given the political climate and all of the news that keeps coming through about the severe sexism and sexual harassment and abuse that's been running rampant in the world. So Medusa felt like a very potent spirit for me to tap into. And speaking of potent spirits, 
Last night, I got a heaping dose of magic from one of my all-time heroines and just overall matron saints, uh, who is thankfully still here with us in the material realm. And that is Tori Amos. She has a beautiful new album out now called Native Invader, and I got to see her perform last night at Beacon Theater here in New York. Um, You know, I've seen her many, many times over the years, but this may have been my favorite show of hers. She was just on complete fire, and she channeled so much of the rage and rising feminine power that I think so many of us are tapping into right now. It was just a, a truly transformative and transcendent show. And as you can imagine, I have tons that I could talk about regarding her influence on my life and my path. I imagine I'll delve deeper into all of that at some point later in the series, but I'll just quickly say now that, you know, it strikes me that I was so lucky to have come of age in the 1990s and to have had a figure like Tori Amos singing so openly and so stunningly about taboo at the time topics. And let's face it, they're still taboo topics. Things like female sexuality and desire and sexual abuse and female fury and goddess worship. And I was also thinking about how both Tori Amos and Medusa relate rather well to my conversation with my guest on today's episode, Kristen Soleil who is an expert on all sorts of taboo and magical feminist topics. But before we get to that, first, let's see what came through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! We got some wonderful feedback from our last episode, which featured Brie Luna of The Hood Witch, It also happened to be our first ever episode, so everybody's emails and reviews and tweets were especially meaningful. Thank you again. Salim from Paris wrote in to say, I just want to congratulate you for your podcast and thank you so much for acknowledging men during this episode. Salim, I'm really glad that resonated with you. Men can absolutely be witches too, and we'll definitely be having male and male-identifying guests on future episodes. Interestingly, we also got a lot of very strong responses from our discussion about hair in particular. A listener named Molly wrote in and said, I have been fighting with my hair all my life. I was teased about it as a teenager, and I always found it to be a source of frustration and annoyance. I experienced this immediate wave of grief and burst into tears while listening to you talk. I was washing dishes at the time and had my hair up in a ponytail haphazardly like I usually do. After letting myself feel the grief and soften into it, I rushed into the bathroom to take it down, spray my leave-in conditioner into it, and even placed a nice clip into it. I feel so much better now. Self-care has been a challenge for me recently, and this was obviously a message that I need to re-evaluate my priorities. Molly, I'm so happy to hear that. You know, one of the things that really bugs me is when people trivialize 
things like fashion and beauty and self-care because all of those things can be tools for amplifying our personal energetic current. These are things that nourish us and help us to shine as brightly as we possibly can. And certainly in our superficial society, we can all be prone to obsessing about how we look or conform to someone else's standards. But if we're dressing to delight ourselves and if we're taking care of ourselves in ways that feel healthy and loving, this will only help us make more magic and be better able to do the capital W work that we're all here to do. Now, on to my guest. Kristen Soleil is the author of Witches, Sluts, Feminists, Conjuring the Sex Positive, which was published this past summer. She's also the founding editrix of Sluttist, a sex-positive site that delves into the intersections between sex, feminism, and the occult. Soleil is a lecturer at the New School, where her signature college course, The Legacy of the Witch, tracks the evolution of the witch across history, pop culture, and politics. Kristen lives in New York and popped on over to my place just before Halloween to discuss the relationship between witches, activism, and sex. Be warned that there is some pretty adult content in our conversation, so heads up if you have children in the room or are just someone who blushes easily. Welcome, Kristen Soleil. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So you are the author of Witches, Sluts, Feminists, Conjuring the Sex Positive. You're also the founder and editor-in-chief of Sluttist, a sex-positive website. And I can't help but notice that you have the word slut in both of these projects. So I want to dive right in and start with that word. Why does that word slut resonate with you? And how do you think it's related to the word witch? Well, first off, the way it feels in your mouth is delicious. (laughs) I believe they call that mouthfeel. No, not for words, but I still think just the way it feels is, is provocative and its meaning in society is provocative. But I think ever since I was young, sexual freedom, sexual exploration ties into that word for me positively in a way. I went to an all girls school and there was this competitive sluttiness. That competitive sluttiness? Yes, Could you yes. get a varsity jacket for that? Pretty much. <laughs> and the funny thing is when I transferred to a co-ed, like um, regular public school in when I was a junior, I suddenly realized that, oh, wait, it wasn't cool anymore. Like To be a slut? Yeah. Yeah. And so I had the I kind of an opposite strange approach to this. Obviously, I lived in a society still that was very sex negative in a way. And not to mention certain things at home that weren't so into my explorations. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't blame my poor Were mother. Those, those certain <laughs> things are your parents? Yes, those certain things are my parents. 
Um, but yeah, it was a real awakening almost to find out that everyone wasn't into just trying everything. Mm-hmm. And so I guess from an er- even earlier than that, just maybe I'm just a hypersexual person or I, I you know, experience life by just sucking out the juice, like literally so to speak. figuratively, I suppose. I just always felt allied with that word. So the word witch and the word slut have been used similarly to punish women and persecute female sexuality in the case of witch for centuries, in the case of slut for much um, shorter of a time. But that to me is the core that links them. And then the other side, they've been reclaimed by so many women and folks in the feminine spectrum who are looking to sort of reconnect with their their wild natures um their abilities to to be free to be out from under the thumb of patriarchy yeah and it's always so exciting to me when we see these negative epithets be reclaimed and resignified mm-hmm. i was thinking about the term nasty woman mm-hmm. and how that caught on and now there's t-shirts and mugs and the whole thing that have that phrase on it but how you know there is a kind of magic or even spellcraft that goes into taking something poisonous and turning it into medicine absolutely which i think is really really powerful so i started sluttist as a way to explore you know female sexual expression in its many forms and the witch part really became explicit with sluttists because all the people that started contributing identified as both sluts and witches. Mm. And so I didn't do this on purpose. It just kept happening more and more. And at the time I was going through like an extended period of chronic illness and I was going within as one does when you're laid up in the house for months at a time and was really reconnecting with this like practice that my mom had instilled in me as a young person that I kind of abandoned a bit Um, I did a lot of spell work in my early 20s that was like love spells you know that didn't go well Mm. and then I kind of was like oh I'm just an atheist and I like to party for a while you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and I always loved like dark aesthetics and monsters and like hard dark women but it didn't really connect in that way until I was really just struggling and going back to my roots to Mm. heal myself. So the connection between the slut and the witch is a relatively new one, or at least one you came to as an adult. Yeah, I I didn't think of them together until my 20s, for sure, yeah. Mm. So let's talk about sluttist. What is your intention for the site? You call it a sex-positive feminist website, what kind of content can people find there and what are you hoping to achieve with that world that you've built well you can find everything from original artwork we've had unique sex positive comics and we had a wonderful writer and illustrator named tenebris kate and she published a series on slutters for a while called great moments in historical sluttery and she, <laughs> yeah it's a fantastic title and she would pick different wild witchy women from the past and talk about them um, everything from josephine baker to valley myers Valley Myers, the fantastic witchy artist who, if I'm not mistaken, was Australian 
and then moved to New York and lived at the Chelsea Hotel and became friends with people like Patti Smith. And then I believe she ended up in Positano, Italy. She created amazing artwork for those listeners who might not be familiar with her. Very colorful character. (laughs) Yes, indeed. You also feature articles and interviews. Basically anything in the journalistic and creative realms coming together. We don't publish like an article every day it's sort of uh on and off again whenever I have the material I like to pay people so whenever I have the money I don't have advertisers it's all me so paying people what a novel idea I, I love that I'm a you know I've been a journalist freelance writer for over a decade and it's you know the struggle is real so I only do what I can afford but I like to think it just stays up there and you can enjoy the back catalog you know yeah it's if a, there's nothing new it's a fantastic site thank you and you have this word in your book that I just love, and it's the word darketypes. Oh, and yeah. You talk about how witches and sluts and feminists are all different darketypes. What do you mean by that term exactly? Well, I love uh, to coin a phrase. So, dark archetypes. Um, anything with shifting multivalent meanings, sort of steeped in shadow, you're not exactly sure what it means um whether it's all good or all evil or something in between exactly exactly and not shadow and darkness as in bad just not apparently or immediately clear Mm. so i think that's important to note because we both agree that darkness does not uh correlate with evil or bad (laughs) absolutely absolutely and i think so much of the witch archetype is about reclaiming that too so a lot of people have called the word feminist the other f word And we're certainly starting to see this resurrection of the word nonetheless. Lots of women are calling themselves feminist and and female identifying people calling themselves feminists, Mm -hmm. men calling themselves feminists. Um, And we're starting to see a bit of fourth wave feminism now take on the word witch and the mantle of of the witch. You know, I'm thinking about a lot of signage that I've seen recently at protests, signs that say things like hex the patriarchy and all these different signs I'm sure you've seen too at the Women's March and places like that. But in your book, you show that the relationship between witchcraft and feminism isn't actually new. This isn't some new trend. Can you talk a little bit about earlier feminists who took on the mantle of the witch? Absolutely. Well, my favorite is Ms. Matilda Jocelyn Gage from 1893. Her book, Woman, Church, and State, as far as my research tells me, is the first time the witch is reclaimed as an icon of female power and knowledge. And she was a suffragist. Um, She purportedly had her home as part of the Underground Railroad. And she was um, pretty anti-Christian patriarchy and uh, cost her, I think, some connections at the time amongst her fellow suffragists. <laughs> so, And she was L. Frank Baum's mother-in-law, yes, isn't that was. right? Yes, and she influenced him to write The Wonderful Wizard of Oz with the good and bad witches in it, which then, you know, filtered down into popular culture and we have that still today Mm -hmm. without her who knows Mm -hmm. I mean I just think that's the most powerful story it's pretty incredible I was also reading about her that she was a theosophist Mm -hmm. and 
And um, for listeners who might not know about Theosophy, that's this religious movement that was started in the mid-19th century by a woman named Madame Blavatsky. And um, she's quite a character. Hopefully we'll be able to delve into her on future episodes of the podcast. But Theosophy is very unique in that A, it was woman-led, and B, it really posited that there are ways of becoming enlightened here on earth and that all religions were equal, that if you just kind of peeled back the veil of costume or language, that in fact there was some higher truth. It's pretty radical, especially for the time. So I love this idea that Matilda Jocelyn Gage was a member of the Theosophical Society, and I read that L. Frank Baum and his wife were members too. So these are like incredible proto-feminist people. That we don't even really know about that commonly, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, everyone I talk to about this tidbit is like, what? No way, you know? It's fascinating. So this idea of the good witch comes to the fore thanks to L. Frank Baum and his fiction and then amplified by The Wizard of Oz, the film, of course, uh, by MGM. And that came out in 39. That's right. And you're saying for the first time we have this concept of a good witch that hits popular culture. So what's the next step in feminism and witchcraft? Who, Who sort of takes it on publicly after that? Well, of course you have those films like in the 40s and 50s where you have a more glamorous, pretty young witch, like I Married a Witch. Mm-hmm. I think that's 1942 or something. Yep, and then with Velvet Veronica Can- Lake. Right, Velvet and Candle, that's 58, you yep. know. So, I think that's Kim Novak, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I love that movie so it's much. so good. It, it has this like beatnik, Greenwich Village, witchy vibe. All the witches like listen to jazz. It's, it's really delicious. Jack Lemmon's a warlock. Yes! Oh my god, I love it so much! So, but I think the next step in my charting of this course is 1964 with Bewitched, Mm. because it's following up um, Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique in 63, and sort of unpacking this idea of like the white middle class housewife, and the problem that has no name, and in Bewitched you see Samantha like taking on her powers in a way that maybe women at the time were taking on feminist thought to bring them more autonomy and power in the personal and political spheres. Mm, And it's so true. She has this real kind of battle within her because she has these powers and she wants to be able to use them. But she also loves her husband and wants to please him. And I'm trying to remember what Darren's attitude is toward her. He's not that into her witchcraft, right? In the first episode, he's horrified. Mm. And he says, don't ever use your powers again. Mm. He asks her to give up this amazing gift. And that's why I really link it to the to feminist thought and feminism because it's obviously freaks out, you know, the patriarchal powers that be. Mm-hmm. And even though it can help them in the in a way, you know what I mean? Sure. These, these, these powers can heal you and yet you don't want them. <laughs> oh, that is the tale of all time, isn't it, Kristen? Yeah. 
Okay, so we have Samantha. She she kind of hits pop culture consciousness and, and really is showing this tension between feminism and female power and 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 the kind of 1950s and earlier ideas of being a good woman and a good wife and and all of these things. Does it ever kind of hit the ground politically in more overt ways? Yes, with which the women's international terrorist conspiracy from hell, as oh they were first called. Goodness, I I know all about that. Yes, That's right. They're a favorite these days. Nineteen sixty-eight. They were formed on Halloween. Perfect. And um, then there were, after a while, there were witch covens all over the country. What exactly was, were they doing? Were they actually doing magic? Not in the sense that maybe a witchcraft practitioner would say, but. That depends on how you view magic, because I think gathering together with a shared intention in a ritualistic manner, I mean, I don't know, but certainly they were not believers or practitioners of witchcraft, as far as I'm So what what were they doing exactly? So they were really focused on corporations and capitalism as the engines driving sexism of the day, so... They would dress themselves in like witch chic looks, Love <laughs> sort it. of pointy hats and broomsticks and black shifts and go out into the streets and use that sort of fear of the wicked woman to garner attention for their um, guerrilla theater protests. They were like hexing the New York Stock Exchange or like writing, oh I know, they were mailed nail clippings to a um, university that fired a feminist professor, like things like wow. that. Yeah. So it's sort of like um, performance art meets activism. Yeah. And it sounds kind of tongue in cheek, but also maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I know I've, I've like read interviews with Robin Morgan, who was one of the founders who said, something like we hadn't raised our own consciousness very far out of our combat boots or like she like plays down you know like they were kind of silly or whatever and I get it if you're young and naive but looking back on it it seems so fantastically radical and after that I mean it really cemented the role of the witch within feminist struggle Mm -hmm. like in 1972 there was an Esquire article I found when I was doing my research written by Nora Ephron of all people and she calls Betty Friedan um, the Wicked Witch of the West and Gloria Steinem Glinda. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I love that. I've noticed that witch, that this this activist group has been resurrected recently. Yeah. Um, a group out of Portland, if I'm not mistaken, is, is kind of doing things in the same spirit and they're spelling the word witch with the acronym, though I think it, they're saying it stands for something else now. I think the word terrorist probably doesn't fly yeah. so well these days. A little different. And I know there's a Boston one as well. There's, they're springing up all over. They really came to prominence right after Trump's election and during those women's marches is when they made some of their debuts. But this time they're fully covered, so there's a total anonymity. You can't see their faces. That's I love that. It, it reminds me also of like the gorilla girls a yes, little bit. I love the, um, the art activists who wear the gorilla head masks and have been doing all kinds of political performance art mm-hmm. to bring to light the fact that there aren't enough females represented both in terms of artists in museums and and academic institutions um, and also that often when you see a woman in art she is usually naked yep. they're they're pretty amazing but i love this idea of anonymity and availing yourself and cloaking yourself while you're doing these activist movements and 
I think it's it's pretty great how this new version of of witch has decided to use this cloaking and this witchly costuming to give themselves that freedom and that that power and that voice absolutely and i think in addition to what the um witch foremothers in the 60s were protesting for the new groups are a lot more varied um they're fighting against you know white supremacy and transphobia and islamophobia and all kinds of issues that are really pertinent right now as well not just the stereotypical like women's issues quote-unquote you know which can translate to white middle-class women again because of the history of the movement so Mm -hmm. and so much of the history of the witch it's really difficult to decouple it from the western european witch who is often a white lady Mm -hmm. that's how she's been depicted traditionally since at least the 15th century because that's where the witch hunts were happening and and a lot of these witch hunting manuals which had pictures of witches in them were replicated and spread and kind of became viral i mean the the white lady with the pointy hat is kind of a meme if you think about it in that way Um, but as we know certainly there are witches all over the world there have been for as long as as we can track um, recorded history yeah and so I think it's great to see that these political movements that incorporate witchcraft are also intersectional and inclusive in that way too this also got me thinking about just the other day I don't know if you saw it but Broad City had this uh, episode and it's all about witches and and witchcraft It's, it's a fantastic episode for those who haven't seen it yet I really really recommend it and it, it, it does stand alone so you don't have to watch the whole series but without giving too much away they really uh, celebrate this idea of the witch as being this new feminist icon and there's this one montage in it where they start showing powerful witches throughout history but the witches are everybody from Rihanna to Elizabeth yes. Warren <laughs> so good. to Kamala Harris you know Mm -hmm. it's it's really really neat and it was fun to see this pop culture behemoth that is broad city wearing the cloak of the witch and celebrating witchcraft in exactly the way that you're talking about as this icon of feminism yeah so i want to actually talk about commercialization and the trend of the witch because you know when i'm asked about how i feel about witches being trendy right now I'm actually very defensive of it. Um, I find a lot of the dismissive talk to either be, on the one hand, from practitioners of witchcraft who feel that the witch is proprietary, that they own the witch, and because it's their religion or their spirituality, it annoys them that this spiritual icon is being repurposed and and capitalized upon. On the other hand, you have people who just think it's all foolish and trivial, and I find those people to be just sexist and ignorant, personally. But you actually write about a dark side of the commercialization of witchcraft in a really eloquent way in the book and it opened my eyes to another reason why perhaps it's not the best thing. Uh, Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I think you're referring to the exploitation of female laborers overseas that are often the ones creating the hip witch wear that so many folks are wearing or buying. And then that's tied into often 
abuses uh, that are happening in the factories and the fact that some of the women who are working in these garment factories are formerly sex workers who were forced out of their profession. I'm, I'm saying here consensual sex workers, not people who are trafficked and forced into often working at these garment factories. Mm. And Anne Elizabeth Moore from The Lady Drawers has this great comic threadbare about this process where like NGOs and certain feminist discourses that say there's no difference between sex work and sex trafficking that, that don't make a distinction sort of force a lot of women into these garment jobs and they're abusive and dangerous and they're much worse off than sometimes they were before doing mm, the work mm. that they had chosen to do. Mm. It's not all so simple. I mean, you know, there's no idealized form of work here. I'm just saying that there, it's a lot more complex than we like to think about. No, I think it's really smart. And there are so many artists and independent craftspeople who are making these witchy t-shirts and selling their crystals and stuff on Etsy and what have you and I I think it's really smart to remind people that in the same way you worry about who's farming your food or how it's being created if you really want to wear the badge of the witch and being a feminist force of positivity and power to be more thoughtful about who's actually making that t-shirt or that bag of crystals or what have you. 21 Urban Outfitters you know think twice. There we go. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. If you're anything like me, you're probably pretty obsessed with candles. And that's why I'm over the moon to tell you about Mithras candles. They are my favorite. They're made of pure beeswax and handcrafted by my extremely magical pals in Philadelphia. They have a gorgeous drip style that looks like something out of Lord of the Rings. They smell like honey-scented paradise, and they come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Mithras candles are a perfect addition to any home or sacred space, and I can't recommend them more highly. They're available now at MithrasCandle.com. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm talking with Kristen Soleil, author of Witches, Sluts, Feminists. So I want to talk about witches and sex, which I know is one of your favorite Mm -hmm. topics, Kristen. I'm (laughs) not exactly twisting your arm here. And there's a pretty sexy theory about the reason that we often see witches as depicted as riding on brooms. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, there is one theory that is based in some of the court documents from witch trials back in the day that the so-called flying was actually hallucinating and that women would take the domestic tools of womanhood, aka a broom or a cooking fork or of some kind, and apply a flying ointment, which was made with um, belladonna or datura or DMT, and because it's if ingested orally it would kill you you would put it on your um other Nether bits orify and <laughs> is that the technical way to pluralize i don't orifice? know i, I like it so. i like it it stays yes and um you know they would be carried away that way <laughs> so let me get this straight so there are women what what century is this is this like the there's documents from even 1320s okay yeah so 14th century 
a woman's at home. She wants to have a nice time. Mm-hmm. She takes a broom. She yes. puts this flying ointment mm-hmm. on the end of the broom. Yes. She inserts it within herself. Yes. And goes for a ride. Yes, exactly. Amazing. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And I mean, the people I've interviewed, you know, there is certain documentations. You can, it's, it's hard to say, like, if this was really a, a full-blown trend or, you know, a couple women just said something, you know, because, I mean, it's not... <laughs> That, you know, it's like a shower head or something. It's there's a common household item. Maybe they were just sure. Yeah, it's just, like the washing machine. Exactly. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's a final tradition yeah. of self pleasure exactly. with household implements. And I actually find that really interesting because so often the witch hunting manuals would talk about how women were, you know, lusty and they would lead to the downfall of men. I mean, I'm thinking of that famous quote from the Malleus Maleficarum or the Witch's Hammer where um, they wrote, all witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is in women insatiable. So good. But, but you know, that to me implies, all right, you lovely, dear Christian men, keep away from women because they're lustful and, and they will, you know, therein lies the path to hell, right? Exactly. But the idea of the witch and the broom, that's about self-pleasure, right? right. It's masturbatory, which is even more, some might yes, argue, more perverse and frightening. You know, a woman pleasuring herself and, and having that kind of sexual experience or ecstatic experience without a man at all. Absolutely. Um, which I, I find to be really, really badass. And I'm curious, are there more incidents of witches masturbating that you found? Now that you've just said that, I realize what my next book is about. (gasps) Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Because that's a whole other part of my magical history I didn't talk about earlier. But um, I did not find, well, how about this? The three types of women that the Malleus Maleficarum says are the most likely to be witches are midwives, adulteresses, and fornicators. Mm. So does fornicate have to be with another person, or can you fornicate with yourself? That's a (laughs) really good question. I have to say I haven't delved too deeply in the etymology of the word fornication, but I will do so So, after this. I don't know, but there is another interesting sort of connection that I did find a few stories of witches using strap-ons on other young ladies and um strap on brooms did not say what did they say it said a dildo or you know some phallic rod amongst themselves and that was a that was a case where a mother superior was accused of witchcraft for using that on other nuns but the case was thrown out because the men uh, the, in charge of trying it didn't understand how sex could happen without a man present <laughs> imagine that (laughs) you also feature in that the section on uh self-pleasure and sex in your book a woman named vanessa cuccia yeah am i pronouncing Mm -hmm. that right um who's the founder of a company called shock rubs which are 100 percent pure crystal sexual wellness products yes why did you choose to feature her i love her products she is a lovely witch and human being and I literally got my book deal through using one. Tell us more about that. <laughs> well, it was a full moon. 
(laughs) Inevitably. (laughs) Well, since my childhood, I think the first way I tapped into spell work was through masturbation. It sounds weird, but whatever. What do you you mean by that exactly? um, Setting the stage for your session was like as if setting the stage for spells I would later learn how to do as a child without knowing details of what any kind of magical practice would entail I sort of intuitively came to setting up my jerk off session the way now I would set up a non-sexual spell so you did it in kind of an intentional mm-hmm. ritualized yep. manner have an, have a goal have um, you know your intent and start to finish you know you're keeping that in mind you're setting the stage you're cleansing the area let me let, let me let me back up for a second so when you're you were a young woman or a child every time you wanted to masturbate you had a goal in mind not every time okay just let's, checking let's, let's be real here because that's pretty pragmatic no, no, i gotta I'm, say i am a capricorn I mean, though no like we all have goals <laughs> in mind when we're masturbating but well, they're a different goal. We're it's a pretty probably. specific goal. Right. No, but actually I would think of other things, like practical things I wanted to manifest in my life. So anyway, that continued. And then I finally was like, oh, that's sex magic. Hey. Yeah, there's a big tradition of yeah. that. Um, of people who believe that by raising energy in a lot of different ways. You can be drumming. You can be dancing. You yeah. can do hallucinogenic drugs. Um, you can just be trancing out and meditating. But this idea of raising energy will help you manifest the the vision that you have in your mind yeah. and, and actualize it in the real world. Absolutely. So I used uh, one of Shoprubs' beautiful crystal dildos on a full moon. I have to ask which color. What was it the was gemstone? actually. And because I think I needed to deal with some deep-seated anxieties and problems I had with putting myself out there in a vulnerable place to write a book mm. so it, it, it wasn't like I you would think maybe like uh, the pink quartz or maybe I don't know the amethyst or obsidian's interesting though because I was taught that black gemstones are often about absorbing negativity right yeah they're very protective so yeah if, if you're if you were finding that you were blocked up or yeah. had some kind of tension or anxiety that you needed to dissolve or right. dispel yes um, it sounds like a, a perfect choice yeah and so it was the full moon I did my I had a you know whole candle carving bit before I had my music I did that and then a month later on the next full moon i got the news that i had the book deal so incredible (laughs) magic is real kids so you mentioned midwifery before and i want to talk also about um you know we're talking about essentially self-sovereignty over your own body right we're talking Mm -hmm. about women who are taking control of their power and of their lust um, another part of that is abortion and choices about whether or not to become a mother. It reminded me of that book, Witches, Midwives, and Nurses, that came out in the 70s. Yeah. Um, it was by Barbara Ehrenreich and mm-hmm. Deirdre English. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, they were one of the earliest, or, or this was one of the earliest books to really make the connections between midwifery and Um, you know the shifts from medical care from the realm of womanhood to the realm of manhood and masculinity so 
abortion is such a key part of that and I'm wondering what you see the connection between witchcraft and midwives and abortion is and how they're in relationship to one another. Absolutely. Well, we don't really have accurate records of how many midwives statistically were accused of witchcraft versus not, but we know they were. And obviously they had knowledge of the female body, of the reproductive system, and they were also coming into contact with the developing male medical field, scientific method, all that. So it's a toss up between whether it was they really believed midwives took their took their powers from the devil or they were just not licensed healers and it was mm. a threat you know because they're outside of the exactly the quote unquote institutionalization right, or at least the religious the, establishment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that develops further into at least i've read in other books that build upon what um witches midwives and nurses says that that repression of midwifery and that knowledge continues into the anti-abortion movement in the United States even in the 1800s like because it was legal for a while and Mm -hmm. then um, there were male doctors who specifically were outlawing abortion because that was often what the midwives would be dealing with Mm. so and then there's still that I say in my book you know like the idea of the old wives tale or like just this denigration of the female healer that's quote-unquote on license I'm not saying it's bad to license your healers here but there is this continuing trend of um, suppressing knowledge passed down through generations about female bodies and and healing that comes from nature right that's not these man-made chemical compounds but that's about going to the earth and going to the source and working with the seasons and the cycles of the body and right. all of these traditionally you know quote-unquote feminine concepts yeah and even in the book they note the things that midwives of the 1500s would use that we'd still use today and things like that you know yeah. which is fantastic and I should also say about that book I love when they re-released it they went through and recalibrated a lot of things based on historically what happened and I, I think that's like so awesome when authors do that mm-hmm. and that the the preface for like the new version is really worth reading so that's great that's a great recommendation and goddess for those ladies <laughs> yes badass women um and it this also reminds me that with this kind of uprising in witchcraft, we're seeing a lot of rising interest in alternative healing and in natural healing. Yeah. Um, I actually was trained in green witchcraft by my teacher, Robin Rose Bennett, who's an amazing herbalist and wise woman. And she was very much into the idea that all plants both have spiritual and physical healing properties that you can connect to lavender to calm your nervous Mm. system but also that energetically you know it can help you through grief Mm. or or bring peace to you and heal your heart or do some kind of manifestation with it that will lead you to just a more calm place in your life so I think it's really wonderful to see these things come full circle again and to see a lot of people reclaiming that version of witchcraft too and herbal medicine also I find works against that um mind-body separation that's so popular in the West, which is total bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you were just saying, that's another benefit to that whole person aspect of healing instead of just like one symptom, which is so what you know we're used to over here. <laughs> Absolutely. I was talking to a friend of mine recently 
about the current rise of witchcraft studies happening in academia. And she made the point that many of the scholars now are what anthropologists might call participant observers. In other words, they came to this scholarship because they're perhaps witches or practitioners of some kind of magic themselves. You teach a class at the new school, so I'm curious, how much do you reveal to your students about your own practice and your own belief systems, or do you try to keep it pretty separate in that context? I try to keep it separate because I don't want them to think I find the material so sacred that we can't deconstruct it and be critical. And in the end, it is more of a gender studies, social science course than a religious studies course. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure if they do a little Google, like the first thing <laughs> pops up is like, I masturbated to get my book deal. <laughs> like that's in a Broadly article. And so sorry, mom, like it's just there. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of out there. But at the same time, I still try to like keep a balanced perspective um, at least I mean I, I in general I do but for their sake especially I think it's good to come off unbiased as much as that's possible for a human <laughs> sure sure you were kind enough to invite me to come be a guest lecturer in that class and the class is called legacy of the witch I should say and I, I had the best time with your students when I came in. I have to say they are so young. These are freshmen. Yeah, yeah they're like 18. They're babies. And I just was wondering, why do you think it's important that young people in particular are taught about the history of the witch? Well, it's shocking how little of this they learn in school, even about you know European witch hunts or whatever, which is a huge part of history. And it ties into feminist thought and contemporary politics and just living in the world today regardless of what kind of person you are I feel like this is a way to talk about all kinds of oppression and it's a way to talk about empowerment and it's a way to talk about art and music and literature it's really a way into everything in the human condition the more I you know teach this class the more I realize oh my god it's limitless so I just feel lucky to have this lens through which to explore the world. And when I was there, at least, they seemed really engaged in the material. They seemed to love you and, and just love the topic. Have you been getting good feedback from them? I have, and I hope, you know, I keep getting hired back every year to teach. Uh, <laughs> hint, hint, new school. Um, yeah, I've gotten good uh, reviews, and I feel like most people really engage with the subject. As much as, you know, when you're 18, I get it. You're not always 100% there because you got life happening. Sure. But I feel so lucky with so many interesting, young, excited people. I have a lot of hope for the future meeting all my students over the years. Like, I do not feel cynical about young people at all. Why? Because I know they're on their phones a lot, but <laughs> I still feel like they care a lot too. I mean, I can't speak about a whole generation. I'm just saying, you know, the hundred or so kids I've met at this kind of school, which is a very left-leaning activist type school. So those types of kids at least are, um, you know, worried about the future of our country. They're worried about the environment. They have compassion for people that are different than them. I mean, we had a whole conversation the other day about how you educate yourself about people who are different from you. 
and how you shouldn't speak over someone whose experience you know you're not aware of and like things like that you know I didn't know that when I was that age yeah they're just a lot more conscious right. the internet gives you so much access to information yeah there's a lot of bad stuff on it but if you filter out that, I mean, there's so much knowledge. I'm, I'm embarrassed when I think back about what I was doing at 18 because I, I don't know. They just mm-hmm. didn't have the access, you mm-hmm. know? Well, I think the witch is just such a wonderful symbol for these young people as well because she is a symbol of the oppressed and the marginalized and finding your power and finding your um, flight anyway despite it. Yeah. So I think I just get such a... I get a lot of hope when I think about them taking your class and I just want to see what kind of adults they all turn into. Me too. It's pretty amazing. So just to wrap things up, I know you're on a book tour right now. You're traveling all over the country and you're doing it in a pretty unconventional way. (laughs) (laughs) You have, is it a burlesque performer who joins you on tour? No, um, it's an author and comedian her name is Jack the Stripper. That's right. Jack and Francis. She's written two books, one The Beaver Show, one Striptastic. They're fantastic books. And she has a feminist perspective on sex work that is really needed today. And we put on these variety shows. So we'll have um, on stage rituals and burlesque performances and drag performances and readings. And we go city to city. And it's amazing. I mean, the wonderful thing about her, she has such a great community and they all come out for her because she's such a powerful voice. And she encourages the viewership to partake in the talent by, you know, showing them validation through money. And I have never had people throw money at me when I did a reading. And let me tell you, it's a fantastic feeling. <laughs> Everybody needs some money magic in their exactly. lives. Exactly. That's wonderful. Well, it sounds like so much fun. I really can't wait to catch the next leg of it. So where can people find you either in person next or in the internet ether? I'm doing a talk at the Miskatonic Institute for Horror Studies in New York on November 21st about witches and film and horror. Fabulous. And I'll be at the Bust Craftacular December 10th doing a witches and feminism like rundown with some visual aids and that should be fun and then I'm online of course uh my book www.witchessslutsfeminist.com you can buy it there Kristen Corvette on Instagram Sluttist on Instagram and that's Kristen Corvette with a k-o-r-v-e-t-t-e that correct? is correct yes okay Very hair metal. Kristen yes. Corvette <laughs> love it and that's about it Great. Well, that's a heck of a lot, Kristen, I have to say. I am so thrilled that you were here. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your knowledge with us. You're my favorite. Always great talking with you. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Kristen Soleil for bringing her witchy, slutty, feminist self to chat with me in my Brooklyn apartment. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. The Witch Wave was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Pam Grossman. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Chiquita Pascal and Matt Freeman. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. 
please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really makes a difference, and I'd be so grateful. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have an iPhone, you might dig my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin tones, genders, and colors by searching for witch emoji, all one word, in the app store, or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.